Hey, good morning, everyone. How many of you are like me? You like the underdog stories. You, you, you hear a story and they have to overcome some tremendous odds to either win a battle or win a game. And, and so like a movie like Rudy or something like that, you're, you're, you're rooting for them to, to, to do something great. By the end of the movie, they do something great. And you walk out of the movie or watching it on television. You're like, wow, this was really great. I, I, I love stories like that. I, I like stories like the uh, 1980 uh, USA men's hockey team. I remember that, the Miracle on Ice. Remember, Al Michaels, do you believe in miracles? Are you all too old to, to remember that? Or like me, I remember I, I was like two, at the, no, I was like in seventh grade or something. I just remember it was so exciting and watching it on our little black and, and white TV. The screen was about this big and, and I, I, don't, I don't know, I was at a swim meet or something. We're all gathered around it watching it and, and, and watching the, the United States beat the Russians. It was amazing. If, if you know the story, that, that, that was just the semifinals. They weren't even in the gold medal uh, match yet, and so they still had to win another game to win the gold medal, uh, which they did. Um, I, I have to admit, I'm a Mets fan. Um, I'm not a Yankees fan like a lot of you. I'm not a Boston fan like a lot of you. I am a Mets fan. The one thing I have to hang my head on is the 86 Mets. They call them the Miracle Mets that year when they won uh, the World Series. Um, one of the best football games I ever watched in my whole life that at the time I wasn't living in Rochester and many of you were not able to watch the game because it was blacked out. But we lived in Charleston, South Carolina at the time in 1993. And my wife and I were able to watch the game. That was when the Buffalo Bills came. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ride that pony the day I die, because that's all we got right now for the Buffalo Bills, all right? It's all we've got is the, big, the greatest comeback in NFL history. Can I get an amen from the three Bills fans? All right, so good, amen, we're there. And I can remember watching that, and it was halftime. You know, we go into the second half, and they're down 32 points, and I said, there is no way they're coming back, and little bit by little bit, they came back and beat the Houston Oilers, and Frank Wright was the second-string quarterback who is a Christian who gave a wonderful testimony after the game. And so I'm going to hang my head on that to the day I die. They still have the record. Amen. <laughs> Haven't been in the playoffs in a long time, but that's all I got, okay? Uh, it, what we're going to look at today is we've been going through the stories, we've been going through the Old Testament, and as we've been chronologically going through the stories and of the Old Testament, seeing how they fit with the overall story of God's redemption of man. Uh, we are in the part of the story where we've come to understand and we've learned that Israel has gone through 40 years in the desert through the leadership of Moses. They finally get into the promised land that God promised Abraham and they subdue their enemies through the leadership of Joshua. So here they are, they're in the promised land, their enemies are subdued, and, and they're beginning to inhabit uh, this land that God promised them. This is where uh, God wanted them to be established. And so here they are, but something begins to happen. Joshua dies, and with the death of Joshua came kind of the death of their spiritual lives. Uh, the death of the purpose they had for the reason why they were following God. And as you saw in the video, God had to raise up deliverers or judges to help deliver them from 
their enemies. And so what we're going to see today is how God uses different judges or deliverers to deliver God's people. I, even though, listen, I want you to understand, even though Israel was unfaithful to God, God was going to fulfill his plan. And, and even though they didn't deserve it, God was still going to work through them to show the enemies around them that the Lord thy God of Israel is the God, is the God of all the universe. And he uses very unlikely heroes, very unlikely people to do these things, to work through them and to deliver Israel from the hands of their enemies, specifically um, uh, the Philistines. And so what I want to do is I want to I jump to Judges chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, you can look up at the screen. I want to read for you the sad account of Israel during this time. Here they have, here they, 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 they persevere through 40 years of the desert. They, as we talked about last week, they, they come into the promised land. They cross the Jordan River at flood stage. They defeat uh, uh, Jericho, the city of Jericho, with the massively walled city. And uh, God uses them. They make mistakes. They come back to the Lord. But God uses them to defeat many of the enemies around them. And I want you to look at the sad part of, of Israel. Because after that generation died, the jo- generation of Joshua, what happened was there became a huge apathy towards the Lord. They weren't talking about the Lord. God wasn't in the forefront of their lives. So let's look at, starting with chapter uh, 2 in Judges, let's look at verses uh, 10. We're going to kind of look at this chapter a little bit. We want to springboard off this. It says in verse 10, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and then there arose another generation after them, and listen to the words that are said here, after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that or the work that he had done for Israel. What began to happen is the people stopped talking about the Lord. They stopped giving God credit. They stopped telling their children about what the Lord had done. Look at look at verse 11. And it said and all the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and began to serve the Baals, the the, the very foreign gods around them. And what they did in verse 12 is they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after other gods. And from among the gods of the people who were around them, they bowed down to them, and this provoked the Lord to anger. Now drop down to verse 16, because this is where God raises up these judges or delivers. And then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They, they soon turned aside from uh, the way in which their fathers had walked and, and, and had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge." For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. And whenever the judge died, they turned back and were actually more corrupt than their fathers. Doesn't make sense, does it? Going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed, have transgressed my covenant. 
that I have commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice. So what happened? What happened here? What happened is they gave back the very ground that God gave them. I want you to understand something. The promised land was was much more than just this land that God wanted them to give them. It was God's land that he promised their fathers, their forefathers through a covenant that he says, I'm going to establish you as a great nation in this land. What's interesting today, Israel still is there. Why? Because God is not done. The prophetic uh, uh, timetable is not over with yet. We're living in the midst of it right now. In 1948, when Israel became a nation, that was huge fulfillment uh, of of prophecy. And so we're living in it right now. But God said to Israel, this is my land that I want to give to you. If you follow my commands and if you obey me and you listen to my voice, I will subdue your enemies. I will be with you and I will bless you. But what happened is there was no leaders there was no one that stood up. The priests that were, were supposed to minister on behalf of the Lord just kind of became apathetic. There was no one that was leading the way. There was, there was, there was not this prophetic voice that said, hey, listen, you're, you're, you're wayward. You're going wrong. You're stubborn. You need to listen to me. And so what would happen is when the enemies would come against them, they would cry out to the Lord. And through God's grace, God would raise up these deliverers, these judges, to rescue them. But the problem is the minute they were rescued and they lived in peace, they ended up turning right back to their old ways again. And this was a pattern within the life of Israel. So they gave back the very ground that God gave them. That's exactly what sin will do in our life. It's an endless circle. It's an endless pit. And let let me just show you, let me just give you a highlight of the book of Judges. If you were to read the whole book of Judges, because here's the cycle that happened during this phase of Israel's history. What happened is they would sin. And so because of their sin, they would abandon God. They wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't follow his commands. And so they'd walk away and they'd serve these other foreign gods around them. And the second step is then they were subdued by their enemies and God allowed these nations to overcome them, which kept them in fear. And so they were in fear of their enemies because of what? Because of their sin. And so they were subdued by their enemies. The third step is they were sorry and they, were, and they would cry out to God and, and they would cry out to God for help, which came the fourth step, which they would receive salvation from a deliverer or a judge to rescue them. And then after that, they would repeat step one and go through the whole thing again. That's basically the whole uh, subject of the book of Judges. That pretty, sums, that pretty much sums up the whole book of Judges. But what I want to do is We don't have time to look at every judge in the book of Judges, every deliverer. But I want to look at two key deliverers, two key judges, and how God used them. Both very different, but God used both of them. And I want to answer this question and hopefully answer this question for you and I today. How do we break the cycle of sin in our lives? How do we break that? Because think about it for a moment. We can look at Israel and say, man, why didn't they get it? I mean, you would think they would learn their lesson, right? You would think after, after uh, uh, being disciplined by the Lord, after their enemies would, would subdue them and, and overtake them, and then God would deliver them, you'd think they would learn their lesson and begin to serve the Lord again and begin to follow him and understand God's blessings. And we can really point the finger at Israel and say, man, they were really messed up. But how do you know we are exactly the same way? that we can easily fall right back into our same patterns 
And we can easily fall back into our old ways if we are not careful. So instead of pointing the finger at them, we need to look at ourselves and say, how, how do we break the cycle of sin in our lives? Because we can do the same thing. We can look at Israel and say, wow, they're really messed up. Why didn't they learn? But we are no different. And, and here's the thing about sin. We sin, we feel bad, we feel sorry, we turn to God, he helps us only to do the same thing all over again. So, so here's, here's the big idea. Here's the overarching theme I want you to see about the book of Judges. God provided for Israel these deliverers, these judges, by his grace. And, and I want you to understand this because if, if, if we can apply this to our lives and understand how God deals with our lives, we're going to serve him in a different way. We're going to have a different understanding of God's character and it's going to keep us from going down a wayward road that God does not desire us to go in. So what do I mean by that? Well, they didn't deserve it. The reason why God provided these judges by his grace is, first of all, they didn't deserve, deserve it. Um, God repeatedly warned them, yet they didn't listen. Yet God, through his undeserving grace, saved them. So what I want you to see is that the grace of God, we're going to see this vividly in two stories of two men that God used to deliver Israel for a time being. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Here's, here's, here's what grace is. Let me define grace and mercy for you because, because you may think, well, grace and mercy are kind of the same thing. But God displayed his grace and his mercy upon Israel during this time when they didn't deserve it. So if, 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 you're, if you're a note taker, Write this down because this is great. You should have this memorized. This is a great thing to understand about God's grace and mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Now, now that, that is salvation for us through Christ Jesus. We, we don't deserve salvation. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it by our good works. In fact, the Bible says that we've all fallen short of God's glory, that every single one of us are, are, are sinners before a holy God, before a, a just God. So, so my goodness means nothing to the Lord. I didn't earn my salvation because of my goodness, be, be, because, of, because I, I do good things. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So God, by his grace, sent his son in our place that we might receive his salvation and not get what we deserved. Amen? It's a great way to understand that. Now, now mercy, here's the difference with mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And, and every single one of us deserves God's wrath. Every single one, I knew I wouldn't get a lot of amens there, but every single one of us deserves God's wrath. That's his mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So God, in his mercy, should have gave us his wrath, but instead, listen closely, because here's the gospel message and how wonderful it is. Instead, God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who is God, and there's this word in the Bible called propitiation, which means this. It means atonement, 
But it has a deeper meaning than just a covering, that, that, that Jesus is our propitiation or our covering or he became our atonement that covers our sins. It has a little bit deeper meaning than that. What the word propitiation literally means also is that Jesus took on the wrath of God. God's wrath that should have been poured out on you and I because of our waywardness and because of our sin were poured out on his son. And Jesus literally became our substitute. So through God's grace and mercy, we are saved and we no longer come under the judgment and the wrath of God. Amen. Isn't that, isn't that good? That's, the God, that, that's what gives every single one of us hope. It should give every single one of us hope here today. Because the problem, when we begin to view our life through works, we begin to look at our life one of two ways. Either I've done a lot of good things and I feel like, oh, I'm doing pretty good in my life because I'm way better than this person, right? Way better than... But then all of a sudden you look at this person that begins to do all these good things and you're like, ooh, I don't know. That person's really good. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in between. We, we, we make our own standard for righteousness. And God says nobody's righteous. We've all fallen short. I don't, I don't care who you are. If you don't fall on the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, we're all lost. So that's what gives us hope, that my salvation can only come through the righteous act of Jesus Christ. And so what happens is, when I put my faith in Christ, God now imputes or places Jesus' righteousness into my life because of the work of Jesus. And that's all done through grace and my faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. When I understand that, when I understand the grace of God, then I realize there's nothing that God cannot ask of me. When I understand the magnitude that Jesus Christ went through for me, then I'm able to lay the things down that I need to lay down. God's able to have access into my heart and say, Barden, Barden, it's not a right attitude. Watch yourself there. Guard your heart there. It's not out of this fear that I'm going to get struck down with lightning. It's because I know God loves me. And as a loving father, a father disciplines his son at times. There's this chastisement. How many of you love to be chastised by the Lord? It's not fun. But you know it's because of God's love and his grace. And you feel his grace pour over your life because you feel of your waywardness and what you've done wrong in your life. And you feel his grace poured over your life as a loving father would receive you and give you his grace and his mercy. And God gives us his pardon through his son, Jesus. It makes me want to serve Jesus. It, it, it makes me want to allow God to have access into my heart and to deal with uh, my character and deal with the things that I fall short in. Amen? Instead of hiding them, instead of saying, well, I just got to pick myself up again and try to do better next time. No, what I say is, I repent of that, Lord. That's, that's wrong. Because I know I'm not following you there. I know this isn't the characteristic of Christ in my life. And I want to do everything that allows Christ to be glorified in my life. So let's look at these two stories. Let's first look at the story of Gideon. And uh, I love the story of Gideon. This is interesting. And let's see how God shows his grace and mercy in this story. Um, let's look at Judges chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 16. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abizer, 
Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press and the grain of the Midianites. And, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. He calls him a great hero. Now, let's get this straight. Midian's hiding from the enemies. He, at this point, he's not really a hero. He's really kind of a coward. It says, Sir Gideon replied, he says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And why are all the miracles of our ancestors told about us? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt and, and now the Lord has abandoned us? Isn't that interesting? Now they point the finger at who? God. It, it wasn't God that abandoned them. They abandoned the Lord. It's interesting how they justified that. And that, and that, and, the, and handed us over to the Midians. Now all the blames to the Lord. You did this, you abandoned us, and you handed over us to the Midians. Then the Lord turned to him and just struck him dead. No, that's not what he did. It's what he should have done, but that's not what he did. He said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But, but Lord, Gideon had all these excuses. You think Gideon said, okay, Lord, I'll go. But he said, wait a minute, Lord. Now here comes all the excuses, right? But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. So he's saying, not only is my clan the weakest, but I'm the weakest. How am I going to be this mighty warrior that you desired me to be? And the Lord said to him again, I will be with you. Now, what you're going to see here is a contrast between two men. You're going to see Gideon, who was completely weak and thought he couldn't do anything, and then we're going to juxtapose it with Samson, right? The stud, Samson. All right, so, so catch this. This is interesting, and how God works here through his grace and his mercy. So he says, I'm the weakest in my entire family. The Lord says, I'll be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. See, what did the Lord ask him to do? Well, what God did here was he called the least of the least. Gideon was no William Wallace on the outside. Gideon had to have some coaxing from the Lord. So here's how the story goes. Gideon goes out and he gets this army together. Now, the Midianites are Huge. They're, they're a massive, massive army that outnumbers Israel tremendously. So what Gideon does is he musters up 32,000 men. And what God says to him, Gideon, that's too many. 32,000 is too many. Now, even with 32,000, they're still tremendously outnumbered from the Midianite army. And God told him, to say to the men who is ever fearful, go home. So he says this, to get 32,000, okay, whoever of you are fearful of the Midianites, you go home. So what happens is 22,000 men go home. 22,000 take up. We'll see you later. Have fun, Gideon, defeating the Midianites. We're going home to watch the football game, okay? So we'll see you later. All right, have fun with that. Have fun as you storm the castle, okay? Have a good time with that. So now he's down 22,000, and God says to Gideon, 
There's still too many. What? We didn't have enough at 32,000. Now 22,000 is left. And so God tells him this. He goes, now with those men, I want you to take them down to the water and watch them drink. Okay. And he's, God said, the ones that drink with their hands, keep. The ones that get down on all four, don't keep. Okay, so Gideon's watching all these guys. Who's, who's lapping the water with their hands? Who's not? Who's, who's getting down on all fours? So Gideon ends up counting all these men, and he ends up getting 300. Gideon's down 32,000 to 300. Gideon is no William Wallace, right? He's got 300 men that did what the Lord said. Now, now I don't know why. There's a lot of speculations of why, why the men that lap with their hands, why not choose ones that got down all four. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was the fact that they could be ready. They could have one hand always on the sword and they were ready to fight. I don't know. Maybe it's because they wouldn't allow themselves to be vulnerable. I don't know. But for some reason, that's what God wanted. So, so God said, this is how you will win. Okay, you're going to win with these 300 men. You get thousands and thousands and thousands of Midianites you've got to fight, fight against. Here's the 300 men. And God said, this is how you're going to win the battle. Kind of like the way they won the battle of Jericho. Here's how you're going to win it. You're going to take the trumpets, the, the ram horn. Uh, you're going to take torches and jars. And you're going to surround the Midianites by night. Okay, that's going to do a lot of good, right? We're going to get our little flashlights. And uh, we're going to get our little ram's horn. And we're going to surround the minions. And what are we going to do next? Well, God says, listen, blow the trumpets, smash the jars. And it's going to send the enemy into confusion where you won't have to do a thing. And they're just going to end up killing themselves. And they're going to run in confusion. Well, that's exactly what happened. Now, they defeated the Midianites that way. Now, you think, what was the purpose of that? Well, God gives the purpose. Follow me. Don't lose me here. God gives the purpose in Judges 7-2. Because the Lord said with Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. And he said this, lest Israel boast over me saying, by my own hand has saved me. I want you to understand something about the Lord. God created you not because he was lonely. I know sometimes you hear that, but God didn't create you because he was lonely. God created you so he could allow his glory to be displayed through you. God created you so you could enter in to that sweet relationship of Father, Son, Holy Spirit and understand what fellowship with God really is. That's why he created you. He wanted you to experience that, to know that, to understand that he created you for his glory, for his purposes, that his life and the vibrancy of Jesus Christ may now flow through your life. The reason why God said, I don't want Israel to say by my own hands have saved me. God did not want them to take any glory for this. He wanted them to know by this weird means of, of, of army tactical warfare 
that the enemy would know that, that God is in charge, that the Israelites would know that God is in charge. As weird as it may sound, God said, you need to obey me and listen to my voice. Because to the world, the preaching of the cross seems so foolish, doesn't it? Even Paul said that. But to us that are being saved, it's the power of God. For those of you that are sitting here that have been saved through the powerful message of the cross, the only thing you can say is, I, I, I can't completely explain it to you, but all I know that the message of Jesus Christ and through my faith in Jesus Christ has transformed me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only thing I can say is, praise God. The only thing I can say is, thanks be to God because I couldn't do it myself. That's exactly where God wants you to be. He wants you to come to the place where there's no dependency on yourself, where you get to the point to where you say, it's not by my works. It's not by my goodness. It's not by my achievements. It's only by God's grace that I'm saved. And when you understand that, you will be much more sympathetic towards the world. You catching this? Because when I begin to trust in my own goodness and what I've done, I begin to do this a little bit to the world. I kind of looked out. Wow, look how messy the world is. Look at, look at all the sin that's going on in the world. Right? But when I understand that I'm saved by God's grace, that I'm no better than anybody else, that if it wasn't for God's grace, I would be in the mess like anybody else. All of a sudden, it makes me sympathetic. It tenderizes my heart to say, Jesus, thank you for the grace that you showed upon my love. I need to show that same grace and reach out to those with the same love that you reached out to me with. Is everybody awake this morning? Okay, because we need to get that. And so what God says, I don't want you to receive the glory. Now, now, now let's... Let's, let's juxtapose this to a completely different character, which was another judge, which was Samson. Now, Samson, we all know, had an issue with the ladies, right? He, he chased after foreign women. He took a Nazarite, Nazarite vow to serve the Lord, but he broke that many times. His, his enemies wanted him dead because of his strength. And if you read, I love, just read through the account of Samson. It's amazing the things that he did. Ten, ten times we see Samson using his strength to defeat the enemy. Yet his weakness and his lust would conquer him. Now what's interesting about Samson that's totally different from that, that we see with Gideon is Samson is strong and he has no problem going out and just whooping people. Give me a jawbone of a donkey, I'll do it. Whatever it is, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some whooping on some Philistines. No big deal for me. And he did. It was no big deal. And they, they were like, man, how do we defeat this guy? This is crazy. He's just, he's just taking everybody out. How do we beat him? So there was no confidence issue with Samson. Just the opposite that we see in Gideon. But how do you know it's what that is within us that usually ultimately defeats us? See, we get so worried about what's going on on the outside. 
of all the sin that's going on on the outside and all the sin that's going out in the world. Well, we got to do this. We got to stand up against this, blah, 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 right? But what defeats us? Didn't James say it's our own lust that's within our own heart that we give into? Isn't that the thing that defeats us? Because that's the very thing that defeated Samson. It, it, it wasn't the enemy from without. It was the enemy from within. And so what happens is he has this relationship with Delilah and, and she finds out about his strength that if they would cut his hair, he would lose his strength. And that's after much prodding and, and trying to get it out of him, he finally told her. And what began to happen is the Philistines jumped on him, seized him. They gouged out his eyes and they made a mockery of him. And so what they did is parading Gideon, this supposedly strong man, they put him between two pillars to parade him in front of 3,000 people in the Philistines to make a mockery out of him. He can't see, he's blind. And now he goes, here, here is this strong man. Everything is gone. His strength is gone. Everything is gone. His eyes are gouged out. He's made of a mockery because of his own lust. Now, I, I, I want to read for you. It's, it's not up on the screens, but if you've got your Bibles, I just want to read for you the end of the story of Judges, which is in Judges 16, verses 28 through 30. And let, let me read this to you, because this is interesting. So here we see Samson being paraded, or being paraded in front of the Philistines, a mockery of God, a, a mockery uh, you know, of their God um, before the Philistines. And look at verse 28. As he's standing there between the pillars... And, and men and women are watching Samson perform. Verse 28 says, Then Samson prayed to the Lord. He called out to God one more time. In his humility, with everything taken away from him, Samson calls out to the Lord one more time. And he says, O oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. O oh, God, please strengthen me. Just one more time. Where did Gideon's strength really come from? It came from the Lord. It came from the Lord. He says, strengthen me just one more time. And let me with just one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Now, sad a story as that is in the ending, in, in the ending of his life and the sad commentaries he killed more at his death than what he did during his life. What do these two stories have with the big story? And here's, here's what I want you to understand this morning. We fail God over and over and over again. And how do we break this cycle? Well, we can't. We can't. Let's pray. No, I'm just here. How, you're like, Pat, was that, is that it? See, here's what I want you to understand. We can't, but God can. Amen. 
I can't do it in my own strength. And here's what God reveals to me. Every time I mess up, God reveals to me, Bard, my grace is available to you now. My forgiveness is there. Stop trying to do it yourself. You got to rely on me because you are going to fail. You see, God provided for us, which we couldn't provide for ourselves. Both Gideon and Samson are perfect pictures of God's grace. One who had nothing, yet God provided his strength. One who had everything, yet God took it away. And God says, you can completely rely on me. And even in the midst of Samson's blindness, he cried out to God and God gave him the strength to defeat the Philistines. It was God who did everything for them. In Gideon's weakness, it was God who did everything for them. In Samson's strength, it was God who did everything for him. It wasn't obviously ultimately his hair. Gideon considered himself weak. God worked through him. Samson's strength didn't come through his locks. It came from the Lord. See, the problem with these judges, whether it's Gideon or Samson, they didn't ultimately save Israel. Oh, for a time, maybe they did. But I want you to understand that Jesus came to ultimately save Israel and to ultimately save you and I. That's the big picture. That's the big picture. I love what the Lord says to Paul and, and Paul is given this thorn in his side and he prays three times, God, remove this thorn. What is going on? Why don't you remove this? And Paul has seen visions of heaven and, and, and has been given great visions and was able to meet the Lord on the road to Damascus, like no other person we know. But yet here's what the Lord says to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He says, Paul, listen to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses that, Lord, I can't do it without you. I need you in my life. And Paul understood that when I'm in that position, then Christ's power rests in me to help me to overcome those temptations in my life. Because he goes on to say, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness. I'm content in insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am actually weak, then I'm strong. How is this all accomplished? Well, it's only accomplished through God's grace when I humble myself before his mighty hand and I say, God, I'm, I'm trying to manipulate this situation. I'm trying to take control of this situation. I'm, I'm trying to better myself by my own means. And God says, you're doing it in your own power. You're doing it in your own power. You want my power? You walk in humility and weakness before me. My power will rest on you and you'll be able to walk through those things in my strength. Because what begins to happen is then the glory doesn't go to me. The glory goes to Christ. And then we say, I don't know how I overcame that thing. I don't know how I got through it. All I can say is glory to God because he's the one that gave me the strength. And it's only through his grace and his mercy that I made it through. Then the glory goes to him. 
He gets the testimony, not Barden Jerez. He gets the glory, not Barden Jerez. Because God wants men to be drawn unto him. Let me just finish with this quote by Ryan Crow. I love this. It says, The days that everyone sees and admires don't matter one jot. The ones that matter are the ones in between. The dry and lonely days, the days of quiet faithfulness and of unsung victories. Then in the quiet, heaven sings for you and no one else hears. You see, if Samson would have understood and Gideon would have understood not to blame God for their calamities, if they would have just understood, and if you and I can understand, we always think it's the big victories that God works through. It's the big, huge milestones. But just the opposite is true. God says, I want you to be faithful to me in the little things in your life, the in-between things in your life, the faithfully waking up in the morning, calling out to me, saying, God, I'm going to give you this day. Quiet times of prayer that you have alone with the Lord where no one else is watching. The times you just take your Bible and you open it and you begin to read it. Not reading it so that, is everybody watching me reading it? Hey everybody, I'm reading the Bible. You see me? I'm reading the Bible. It's that quiet time where it's just you and the Lord and you open up your Bible and you, you allow God to speak to you. Guys, that's where the victory is won. That's where it's won. It's won in your faithfulness, your one-on-one relationship with Christ, the quiet times, the times in between the big events. That's where it's truly won. God says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide my grace for you. Even though you don't deserve it or you haven't earned it, I'm going to provide it for you because you put your faith in me. Some of you are here today and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, 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 you're at a point where either you feel like giving up or you're just, you're frustrated because things haven't worked out the way you felt like they've worked out. And God's telling you to surrender. He's saying, you need to surrender all this stuff to me. Some of you are just battling with maybe particular habitual sins that you just keep. It's just a, a, it's just a merry-go-round and you're good, you're bad, you're good, you're bad, you're good. It's bad, it's good. And God's saying, you need to lay that down. You need to allow my power to rest in you. You need to give that to me and allow the power of Christ to rest in me. And by doing that, we're laying that thing down. So I want to pray for you today. And then here's what I want you to do. We're going to end on an up note because you guys are down right now. We're going to end on an up note because how many know that when we receive God's grace, it's a celebration. It's a celebration of a transformed life that God, I'm going to change. I'm going to do something for you and, and, and you're going to change my heart and, and I'm going to look at this circumstance differently, even though it may be the same circumstance, but I'm going to look at it differently because I know that you're with me. Just as you were with Gideon, you're going to be with me to give me the strength to walk through it. That's the power 
of God's grace. It's going to be sufficient for you as it was for Paul. It would be sufficient for you, but it's humbling ourselves before him. So we're going to rejoice as we sing this closing song together. Amen. So let's pray. I want to pray for you. And I want you to reach out to the Lord. Whatever that situation is, you hand it to the Lord. So let's stand. I want you to stand with me and let's pray. And let's ask God, whatever that is, whatever that step you have to take, let's give it to the Lord. God, we just come before you today. We thank you, Lord, that our strength does not come from ourselves. Lord, I pray for every person here who's doing it in their own strength and they're tired. Lord, I pray that that we wouldn't look at our weakness as a bad thing, but we would look at our weakness before you as actually a good thing, that we're bowing before you and we're admitting that we can't do it without you. And now we want the power of Christ as you promised Paul to rest in us, to rest upon us so that we can walk through this daily walk, this daily life with you, Jesus. Help us to see that it's in the quiet moments, that it's those times when no one else is looking, that you speak the loudest to us. Help us, Lord, not to have church as our main event where we reach out to you, but let it be a daily thing where we're reaching out to you for your grace every single day in our lives. So we thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the picture of grace that we see even through these judges, even through Israel's mishap. We still see your grace that you still deliver by your power and you can rescue us and you can save us. So we fall on your grace and your mercy this morning. And we're going to celebrate that grace. We're going to celebrate you reaching out to us. We're going to celebrate your forgiveness. We're going to celebrate your strength that you give us each and every day. Thank you that you never leave us or or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's sing the son of the Lord and celebrate his grace. God bless you.